Hello once again, Trailblazer fans. We are here with the Dave and Marlo Show. I'm Dave Deckard with Marlo Ferguson Jr. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, Marlo, but I'm going to bring down the room right away. I am so sorry, but I can only confess this to you. I can't write it out. I can't tweet it. I'll get killed. Oh, Marlo, I am not convinced. I am not convinced. The Blazers are on a two-game winning streak, and I am not convinced that things are better. Am I crazy? I mean, they they had a couple good games this week, but how are you feeling right now? I don't think you're crazy at all. Uh, I'm in a similar spot. You know, I, I still haven't gotten over that Sunday loss to the Lakers. It's one of those games that just makes you question everything, and 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 <laughs> I had to take a nap after that game. It was it was that bad. So I, I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. I think everybody's kind of in that same boat right now. Yeah, I mean, at least you only took a nap. I mean, uh, (laughs) I think a lot of people were taking like straight shots out of the bottle (laughs) and maybe contemplating the the purpose for their life. Um, Let's. Okay, let's start there since we started there. I mean, we'll we'll start depressing it and ramp up. But I'm I'm telling you, fans, uh, like, you know, I love you. I like the team winning, but we'll get there. So the Blazers come out on Sunday night against the Lakers kind of slow, have a little bit of a dismal first quarter, but then post their biggest margin in franchise history in the second quarter, uh, something like 45 to 13 or something obnoxious like that. Uh, absolutely house the Lakers, just destroy them and go into halftime with what? 71 points, something like that. It was, it was, I don't know. It was a lot. And all of a sudden, LeBron comes out in the third quarter and scores quick. And you're going, well, okay, yeah, he's going to make a show of it, but there's no way he can. And then he scores again. And then more stuff happens. And then he's bowling down the lane. And then uh, all the Lakers start scoring. And all of a sudden, Portland just wilts like, you know, a noodle in the sun and cannot stave off the Lakers who go on to not quite blow them out, but it sure felt like it. What the heck happened there? I just remember thinking, like, when the, when the Lakers cut the lead to seven or eight, I'm like, if they don't keep this lead while LeBron is at the scores table, this game is – you could just feel the momentum shifting in that game. And I thought the writing was kind of on the wall with just the shot selection overall. You know, the, the Blazers were taking those hard fallaway shots, stagnating a little bit, and then the, the Lakers were trading them off with wide-open three-pointers. And so it was just – eventually it catches up to you, um, and it, – <laughs> That loss is it's going to be hard to erase. They're going to need a ten game winning streak for us to kind of not think about that. <laughs> well, and, and they made Thomas Bryant look like Kobe Bryant for gosh sakes. Yeah. And you know Dennis Schroeder is is scoring twenty four points on you. And you know God bless Dennis. I like I I like his game. It's fine. But you know when the Lakers picked him up, it wasn't to score twenty four points. Yeah, it was the only thing that almost got in the way of that game for L.A. was Russell Westbrook, who went old Russ for a minute and like tried to blow it for them. But everything else worked great. And I just so let me ask you this. After that game, Chauncey Billups said the Blazers didn't have playoff experience and in a playoff atmosphere got run out of the building. Or bullied, basically. It's not the first time he said similar things like that. He's talked about their physicality. Uh, he's talked about their intensity. He's talked about their consistency. Are you buying what Chauncey is selling here? Is he accurate? And if so, is that a sufficient explanation? Or 
does more blame need to be laid in more places? I think it's more of a half by half sale kind of thing. Um, I like what he said about being like the least experienced head coach and whatnot and not really having a ton of a ton of repetitions as far as that goes. So that part, I think you can honestly see that. And it, it, it's, it tells itself in, this, in the stats. You know, they have the most double digit blown double digit leads of any team in NBA this year. So you see it there. Uh, but I think that it's also a situation where, you know, the reporters are asking them, like, are the players responding to what you say? And I think it's on a coach and a coaching staff to make sure that, that, that they do. Um, and so it's, it's like I said last week, I try to look at it the same way I would look at it as second year, second year player. They are going to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But, you know, eventually you don't want to be making the same ones that you were making earlier in the year. So I think he's 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 on his way. But a second year coach going to the NBA finals, I think with this group, I think it's going to be really tough to sell. So I'd, I'd be like kind of on the fence with that. Well, I mean, I think the players are responding to what he says, but. What everybody was saying in that second half is, holy bleep, you know, it's like, uh, first of all, LeBron uncorked, but it wasn't just that. I mean, he he was bullying the Blazers. In fact, the Lakers were bullying the Blazers around the court. I mean, they were not only running them, but they were getting in the lane. They were dunking in the half court. It was, there was a lot going on there. And Portland just took a long time to wake up. It's like they thought they were entitled to that game that they, you know, they, the script says we win. It's like, this ain't pro wrestling, bro. It's you gotta, you know, <laughs> you gotta actually play these games. And I don't know. I think Chauncey was kind of right. I will tell you this. I think Chauncey was right. And I, that doesn't mean I think he's done the best coaching job. He can be questioned, but in this case, I think he described it accurately. They, LeBron just out intensed them. He outplayed them. He buffaloed them out of that win. And the Blazers had no response. That is kind of a playoff atmosphere, like Chauncey said. That's how teams get run out of the playoffs. We've seen this for more than a decade in Portland now. And I don't think it's changed. It's tough, but I, I mean, I'll, I'll take his press conference where he's saying these kind of things as opposed to when he's just saying we got to do better and just the regular cliches that we normally get. So I, I think it's, it's a step in the right direction, uh, but it's, it's also concerning, you know, if, if, a, if a playoff atmosphere does that to you and you're playing against the Lakers in a, in a battle of the, the 12 seats without Anthony Davis, that's concerning. You know what I'm saying? I, I look at that and, and, and it makes you really question if they're going to be able to, what they're going to do against a, a real, real championship contender. So um, it's, it's better to make these mistakes in January, but it's still inexcusable no matter how you slice it. Well, it's the same thing they always do, I think. I don't even think that means they're doomed in the playoffs. They can probably win a round. They might even win two if they got lucky, but eventually you're going to find into uh, run into a team that wants to beat you and will do anything to do it. And the Blazers, when they get hit in the nose, they retreat. They don't have a response. And you know, I'm not saying, look, Damian Lillard has engineered some great comebacks and the Blazers have prospered. I get that. But it's always the same thing. It's like, okay, we get really hot on three-pointers. We get a run going. You know, sometimes we get some dunks and stuff, but that's not really the point of it. It's like we got we get really torrid flow of offense going here and we catch up and there we go. Now we won. Aren't we great? Hey, you know what? That has almost nothing to do with standing nose to nose with somebody. It has nothing to do, you know, all the other guy has to do is hit you again. And then all of a sudden, all your fancy offense, the Blazers are like that guy in the cartoons who's doing the, you know, why I oughta and making all his moves, right? And then as soon as he gets hit, 
this fight is over. And I don't know. I don't know if it's personnel. I don't know if it's coaching. I think it's maybe all of the all of the above. I think it's in Portland's culture at this point too. It's just this is Blazers basketball, and it's frustrating to see. I think yeah, I can definitely agree with that. You know what I'm saying? I, I, too many times we've been up on the Lakers and, and had it in that way. And I think we're kind of trained to trained to assume that it's gonna kind of be rough when you get the big lead like that. And this season just isn't helping. You know, this is what 10, 11 different double digit uh, uh, collapses in the second half. So it's, it's 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 rough. It's rough right now. Yeah. And I hate that the, 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 the Damian Lillard and Patrick Beverly stuff kind of tilted over into that too. You, you always want to win those games against him because he talks so much noise, but. It's rough. Well, Dame, I, Dame is the one guy, I think, who is veteran enough and talented enough to have a chip on his shoulder and have it matter. But you know what? That's like Terry Porter having that with the, you know, Clyde Drexler Blazers. Okay, that's great. But where's Jerome Kersey? Where's the Buck Williams? You know, the, the, Clyde and Terry, they were offensive players. They learned to be tougher and harder and you know, more physical, but they also had those forwards backing him up and you did not mess with them. You go back to Maurice Lucas with the championship trailblazers who turned the series by getting into a fight with Daryl Dawkins. You know, it's like, okay, the Blazers have zero of that. They're sorry about the wrestling analogy guys, but you hear about guys <laughs> like, you know, Haku, uh, who was in the WWF. I forget. He was like Mang and WCW, but the legendary stories of like, you never want to get in a real fight with this guy. Cause he would literally claw your eyes out and you would be crawling away on the floor. So nobody tested him. The Blazers got none of that. They are pure Jeff Hardy. Like, we're going to jump off a ladder. We're going to make you ooh and awe and applaud. But when it comes right down to it, when stuff gets real, all our flipping and twisting isn't going to end up persevering. The Jeff Hardy fan of me hates that. Oh, my God. I used to love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) He is awesome. But you know what? He's not the guy you're going to pick when stuff gets real, right? <laughs> like, hold still, mister. My, my, my backup is going to get on top of the bar and do a do Hurricane Rana on you. Hold still. Like, no, no, we're not going to do that. Oh, man. So anyway, that was the Lakers game. I mean, and I will tell you, I was not as depressed after. I was surprised at the reaction of Blazers Nation. People were really down in the dumps. I was kind of sanguine about that. So I'm higher on that than most people were. But, okay, it took you 150 points to beat San Antonio, and I get you blew them out. But you know what? That was, like, not a game. That's not a repeatable game. And then it took you 60 from Dame to beat Utah. And I get, again, they had bigger margin than that. But games you win by scoring 150, or Dame has one of the four highest scoring games of his career— not repeatable experiments to me. Still not convinced. It's crazy. Just the entire week to go from a 25-point loss to the second highest scoring game you've had in 30 years to a 60-point game from Damian Lillard. It's just tough. It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. But I think in that game, um, if you look at the Blazers, what they've done in January, four of their five best games in terms of offensive rating have come in this month. So it's, it's good to see that. But you just hope the defense can sort of you know get back going too. And for them to be tied at 74 in the first half is oh, <laughs> the worst defense in the league, too. So It was a lot. I mean, we're in bizarre. This was the most bizarre week that I can remember in a long time. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So let's not gloss over Damian Lillard's greatness, though. I mean, oh, gosh. 60 points, 
literally the most efficient 60-point game ever posted in league history. Talk to me about, Dame, what you saw that night, and just go ahead, rehearse for us, soothe, balm our wounds uh, with what you see from Damian Lillard right now and how it makes you feel. I think we can all agree that an aggressive Damian Lillard is, is always the best-case scenario. Um, and I, the thing that I liked about it is that even when he scored a lot of points, you know, he was still making the right plays. You know, he was they were doubling him. He was bringing guys over and, and addition it to the corners and whatnot. So it's a well-played, well-played 60-point game. And he said in his press conference, he, he thrives in these kind of high-person situations. And, you know, you want to just see that translate over to the rest of the guys, too. Yeah. I mean, it's he's like painting. He's, he's making cathedrals out here to basketball, basically. This has gone beyond a guy who is supremely talented individually, offensively, obviously. But you see him now, and he's the guy who is is watching the terrain, bringing in the construction materials, leveling out the ground, erecting the arches and the buttresses, painting, or, you know, paint them, but, you know, forging the stained glass windows, for gosh sakes, and just it's it's a monument. That game was a monument to what basketball is supposed to look like. And I understand that the NBA is in the midst of its biggest offensive boom ever. I understand that plenty of guys are scoring 40, 50, 60, you know, even this year. But still, as you say, the way that game was played was just absolutely astonishing. And you could you could literally put a plaque by that stick it by the side of the road on a screen, have people stop their cars, put a sign, you know, here's a historical monument, <laughs> stop by and watch the, the tape from this. And it would not be uh, necessarily a wasted trip. That should be somewhere playing on a 24-hour loop for all of our progeny to understand what basketball is supposed to be about. Man, and it's so easy to take those games for granted, too. Um when you have 30 at the half, you know, it's just, we've seen it so many times that we're kind of conditioned to just expect it. Um, and so it's just, just fantastic. And like I said, just the way he played in terms of being unselfish was, it made it even better. I'm saying, because he, he shared that moment with the other guys and he could have had some, some more opportunities to score more points too. So yeah, I, I worry about him doing, doing a little bit too much, but you'll take it when it's a win like that. So, well, and to be fair, I mean, it's not like he did too much. It feels like he did just right in that game. It was the perfect storm, you know, where the opportunities were there. He took them appropriately and he hit the shots, like all the shots. And it's just like you're, you're going, okay, one of those three things is a good game. Two of them is a great game. All three of them is wow. It's like pulling the Las Vegas uh, slot machine and, you know, 777 right there. I, I don't. I, I don't look, we've seen great games that might not be the best one ever in a Blazers uniform, but for combination of superstar power and basketball purist, that one is, is close. I, I can see that being the case too. And I think if it is, and it's definitely in the top five, top 10, my mind sort of drifts to that, uh, that game five against OKC to close out the series, the way he played in that first half and, and just, all the variables that you add into that, um, it was it was incredible. But I want to bring up a note to you. We've talked about this a lot. The fast break and transition points. 24 against San Antonio, 
26 against Utah. I think you tweeted me about this, but I was like, I was sleep during that time, so I, I missed it. But the Blazers are seven and zero when it comes to that 24, 24 fast break points mark, and I couldn't be happier. I, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> That's what I tweeted. Like everybody should pay attention to Marlow now because he's got to be. He's been talking about this forever. My goodness, it's just great to see. And for Dame Lillard, it makes this offense much easier too because you can run the double drag screens at the top. It really punish teams. You know, they got to bring guys up and, and opens up shots for everyone. So hopefully that's something that you see continue. Um, the Blazers have had a, a fantastic month in, offensively in, in January, but they're just five and eight. So you want to see it start to move, move in a, a more positive direction. So hoping for that. Yeah, they've got a weird or going on. Like their defense is actually decent in December, uh, but the offense then sputtered. And then in the new year, I mean, it, it carried over a little bit. It wasn't exactly at the calendar turn. But then the offense has all of a sudden started to pick up, and now the defense can't do anything. Now, I, that makes me suspect, I mean, is this kind of pace-related? When the Blazers play faster, does their defense suffer? I think that's reasonable. I mean, because you got to exert more energy on the defensive end. And I, I didn't think that it was going to be as bad as it was because you've got Gary Payton coming back, you got Nassio Little coming back, so you got more freedom to stuff two guys in and out. Um, but I don't. I think with with Tom, I think you'll see it sort of balance it balance itself out. Um, I think the Blazers are going to kind of cap off at being a a, a, a average defense. I think if, if they're if they're fifteenth or something like that, they'll live with that because uh, they've got an offense that can that can do a lot of things. And like I said, three twenty point scores, different guy every night. So I think you can live with that, and it, it's a sustainable uh, avenue to get offense from and win games with. So now. There might be another reason for it, and we would go from the sublime to the ridiculous. All of a sudden, Nurk fever has turned into some kind of stomach flu because it, he has put together a string of games that charitably were not good. Fouls early, uh, effort questionable, foot speed slow. It's not that, I mean, I think he had a good statistical game in there somewhere, maybe a couple, yeah. but it, Drew Eubanks has been shining mostly because Nurkic has had to sit. That that has the potential to impact Portland's defense, wouldn't you say? I would say so, yeah, because for everything that we can say about Nurkic, you know, he's a, he's a serviceable room protector. Um, and just looking at the numbers right now, he's of his last six games, he's had single-digit scoring in, in, five, in four of those. 25 game, 25 point game against San Antonio, but after that, it's been been mostly crickets. And I sort of wonder if that calf injury that they talked about before is, is maybe maybe I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that, but he definitely doesn't seem like the same guy that he was earlier in the year. And I think if there's a faster pace, nobody's gonna gonna pay for it as much as he does. So it's gonna be tough to see how that plays out. Yeah, trying to figure out if the Blazers have left him in the dust, if he's kind of going through one of his Nurk funks, and that's happened repeatedly. Or if something else is going on, uh, we can talk more about the something else's a little bit later. Uh, Nasir Little, absolutely shining, don't you think? Absolutely, I, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, even when his shots don't fall, like he had an air ball shot where he missed it over the rim, but it's the confidence level that he has in his, his shot selection now and the pull-ups. It's 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 big, and I think every single game he puts his imprint on it. Whether he gets ten minutes, whether he gets twenty minutes. That second unit is better with him. Um, and I, he had a huge role in that the San Antonio game. They had 47, 47 bench points. I don't remember the Blazers having 47 bench points this year. 
But having guys like that and the energy he brings is just, you can't say enough about it. So, uh, and I think that he's going to make guys more expendable, guys in his position. Maybe you can make some trades based on his, his growth and his, his elevation this year, but can't say enough about when Nasir Little's done, when he's healthy and he's ready to go, and he said that he's back to full strength. So, just <laughs> building upon that. Yeah, Little is always going to play defense. That's part of his game that we take for granted, and we can, we can just almost presume that. But four for seven versus the Lakers, four for six shooting versus the Spurs, three for six versus the Jazz. He's not taking a ton of shots, but he's shooting over 50% from the field, which is just the kind of efficiency that you prize Josh Hart for, right? And Little might also have a little more range. And Little, while I, I still don't think he's like the 48-minute consistent defender that Hart is little is more of a small forward than Hart is and little has more explosiveness and opportunistic defense than Hart does. So I think you're right. I think there's a lot of promise there. I see what you mean there too, because his, his defense is more, more explosiveness, more energy based. And that's hard to do for, you know, 30, 40 minutes. Kind of reminds me of one of those wind up toys where if you, if you wind it up too much, it runs into the wall and like falls and whatnot. So you gotta just, you gotta just be able to control that energy. Yeah. Um, and so I, I like what it does in terms of just the subs that, we can, that he can make. You know, Billis can run the different guys, subbing them in and out, keeping them fresh. So I think that's 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 found money. That's that's an extra benefit that you have. But uh, it's, I, I agree with you on that, that Hart's probably a better possession for possession defender. But the guy gets hot, stick a little on him and then maybe stick Gary Payton on him. And you got some options now. So can never have too many of those. Yeah. Now, Karen, we mentioned Eubanks. We should really stop on him for a minute with Nurkic on and off. Drew's come out. He's been mobile. He's blocked shots. He's got that kind of, you know, sticking his chin up and uh, say, I don't care what the name is on the on the back of this uniform. You, you better deal with this play right now and you got my hand in your face uh, or you just watched the ball sail into the stands. Uh, you know, hey, this, you talk about found money. Drew Eubanks filling in serious minutes for Yusuf Nurkic was not something that was necessarily predicted this season. It wasn't, but hey, however you got to do it, when you get to January and February, you got to dig in your bag of tricks and get creative. We're seeing that with the Blazers now. And one thing about Eubanks, he's not going to take points off the board. You give him six shots, he's going to get you five, get you four. It's always going to be efficient. And unlike a lot of the, the energy guys, you see it every single night in the box score. You know, so I think that got to continue to put him out there. You know, so he's not going to hurt you uh, defensively. He's not the greatest, but he's going to play with energy, and, and you can never have too much of that. So I think he's he's definitely a guy that he's earned his minutes, and he's going to continue to earn his minutes going forward. So, yeah, hundred percent. And to to complete the bizarre week, Gary Payton played in all three games. What happened? <laughs> that's that's actually awesome. And I do look, you know. People thought we were overselling Peyton and Little, by the way, earlier. Uh, guess what, folks? No, that's why you should listen here. We're going to tell you what's going to happen about two weeks before it actually does. Uh, in any case, uh, Peyton, I thought, has looked pretty good. Absolutely. He's making plays on both ends of the floor. Uh, he had a couple of corner threes in that, that Lakers game, too, that I, I thought really should have put Portland over the top. Um, and every single, every single day, I always like to look at his stats. 58% from the field, 60% from three. He's just making making shots count, playing with energy. So 
hoping that continues. Hopefully he can stay healthy and, and just continue to build upon what he's did so far. Now, if they can just get Justice Winslow back, then we can start talking about the repaired bench here. It's going to be nice to see all of those different guys. You can slot different guys in and, and play matchups. I think that that's really where we're going to see what Billis is made of because you know he wants to play guys like that. Earlier in the year, we've seen them running, you know, 10, 11, 10, 11 man units um, and just having so many different pick players to pick from could be huge. You know, I, I think we all look at the Lakers game and we're kind of kind of skeptical about this team overall. But when they get guys in and, and they can get a full healthy, fully healthy lineup, I think we'll learn a lot about this group. So just got to hang in there until then. Hopefully it's not too late. Yep. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is that ideally the Blazers would have been figuring this out two months ago. But injuries and adjustments conspire against that. It would have been optimistic to think they could have. But if you really want to talk about this year being a decisive year, they either should have had these issues in hand, you know, the answers to them, or uh, they would have figured it out really early. That they're figuring it out in January, very late January, is good. It's about what you'd expect, but it doesn't bode real well for their consistency going forward, even if they even out, might be too late. But consistency, let's talk about consistency. Shaden Sharp, Shaden Sharp this week, uh, he had a one for six game, a two for three game, and then an eight for 12 game. And you know what? I'm kind of good with all of them. Yeah, it, it was a, a weird week for him, too, going from getting chewed out by Billups on the sidelines in that Lakers game Sunday night coming back and almost threatening the career high on Monday night. So that's the ups and downs of a rookie season. Uh, he'll be better for it in the long run. So I think that, like I said before, everything he does this year, I think it's more of a, more of a redshirt season, more just learning, uh, getting reps. He's still so young, and, and, and you like to see it. And then that Spurs game, it just man, he, he looks more athletic than anybody on the floor, just out jumping anything. And then you love to see the shot selection. He's not just settling for threes and getting into the paint, getting into those pull-ups. So it's, it's a... Not a finished product, but what we've seen so far, I think you can be very inspired by. Uh, just got to build on that, just like everything else. You can see his fellow NBA players even out on the floor. And you can almost hear the thought process. You know, uh, I'm an NBA player, yep, but not that kind of NBA player. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, and I don't mean talent. I don't mean all-star. I mean, just every time he takes flight, people are like, oh, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> and he's gonna he's gonna turn some heads in that All Star weekend. Hopefully the lights not too bright. I think he's gonna really put on the show for us. Yeah, you think he brings Ant, former champ? I think he should get the, get the dunk contest champion in there. I think so. I think you definitely got to bring in and, and show some support, show some love. You know, he should team up with Greg Brown to uh, do something, some kind of tandem. Yeah. It would be cool if they could. That would be a never before been done thing. If like Brown did a fantastic dunk and got height and then sharp did the same dunk right after him, like literally seconds with more height and volume. And it's just like, Oh, okay. That's, this is the normal version. This is the sharp version. And you know, he can do it too. Hopefully he's listening to this podcast because we've got some ideas for him here. So yeah. it'd be cool to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of, of course, you've got sharper image and all kinds of, I mean, we could do, Shane, we could be your publicist. You, you know, we work pretty cheap. We can, <laughs> we, uh, between dad jokes and a little bit of photography, we can, uh, we can make you famous. Er. <laughs> all right. Speaking of famous or, or not, uh, Josh Hart continues to be a bit of a lightning rod point of controversy. Uh, jazz game. He was 
0 for 1 in nine minutes because he had a hamstring issue, and we still don't know at time of this taping what that's going to entail. The Spurs, he was uh, 4 for 5 in 26 minutes, nine points, which was a really good night for him, but, uh, you know, nine points. Uh, Lakers game, he had 13 on 4 for 8 shooting, had 10 rebounds, 7 assists. That's like vintage best ever Josh Hart, but it came in a losing effort and got lost in the shuffle. One of the big questions people have is, okay, look, Little's playing well. Put Little in the starting lineup, put Hart off the bench now. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm kind of on the fence. If if I kind of like the idea of it, just just because we know how special Josh Hart is when he really shoots the ball. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm on board with that, but it's, it's just tough right now to envision what Josh Hart's going to do. You know he's going to get on the glass, but just the, the hesitation to shoot the shot has been a little bit tough. And he's had one game over his last 10 in which he shot double-digit field goals, field goal attempts. I think that's just concerning. So maybe a second unit, uh, bolstering that second unit, I think maybe that could be what, what fixes it. But right now it's, it's, it's kind of weird the way he's been playing as of late. <sighs> yeah, okay. So I did an article on this that published today a couple of days ago as you hear this. And I really, you know, I thought about it. Like when I write, I don't just, you know, I sit and think about it for a couple of days, look at the stats, do stuff like that. It's not to say I'm right, but I mean, I just spent more time on this question this week than it probably deserves. My ultimate conclusion was that you could put Hart there and the bench would probably benefit from his experience. But he's not a scorer. He's not an ISO playmaker. He he can do those things, but they're part of his Swiss Army knife. They're not. He's not a big stick. He's like that corkscrew. And then he's got a few other skills that are fantastic, but the bench already kind of has most of those. He's not going to change the bench. He's just going to be kind of part of the plane. They're uh, not going to create a lot of hills. And I don't. I don't think that that's going to help the second unit that much. And I don't think Nasir Little is going to be more free and easy playing with the starters uh, because I think, you know, as soon as Damian Lillard takes the floor, he's the priority. Anthony Simons along with them compounds that problem. And then you got Jeremy Grant on your other side, and then you can't ignore Yusuf Nurkic. So look, every shot Nasir Little takes in the first unit, he's taking away from someone else. That's not a problem for Josh Hart because he's not taking them anyway. But Nas needs that offense. Nas needs the room to grow and, and the freedom to not worry about it. I kind of don't like at this point moving Little into the starting lineup in favor of Hart. I don't think it does either unit that much good. Yeah, I'm kind of 50-50. Um, I think they just, they just need a guy that can play with some confidence. We've seen Hart kind of pass up those wide open shots. Um, and it's, it's sort of disrupted the rhythm of the offense a little bit. Uh, but when he's out in transition and in, in the open floor, um, it's just a, a different offense. So I'm, I'm, I kind of want to wait and see, maybe give it a week or two, uh, just because the Blazers are starting to play more fast paced now. And uh, maybe this is what Josh Hart, Josh Hart needs to get back on track. Um, he didn't score in that that Utah game. He obviously left early, but before that, in the Lakers game and his first game, his numbers were, were pretty good. So I'm, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there, and maybe it's just it took a little time, but. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think you can definitely make a case for it. Uh, you just need somebody that can come in there and just play their role. And he's better than that. I, I, we both we both said it. You know, he, he's better than what he's done so far as far as the shot attempts go and, and the production. But you know, you just want to see how it goes. Uh, 
why do I feel like neither answer is right? I guess that's half my point. Like, okay, you can do it, but it's not going to change that much. And you've just disrupted the flow and you've made Hart look over his shoulder and say, are you demoting me? You've put a new guy in the starting lineup that has to adjust to people and people to him. And I'm wondering what you're really gaining. I don't think, frankly, I think the, ro the way the roster is constructed, I don't think either answer works. You had a pick. Is there a guy that you would uh, try to target? Try to fix that because I'm like I, I, whoever whoever plays their role, they're gonna have to understand that Simons is gonna get 16 shots, 17 shots. Grant's gonna get you know same thing, and Lillard's gonna get 20 shots. So it's got to be a guy that can kind of flip the switch and understand what he's got to do. So it's 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 such a weird. I don't know. I'm not sure who can really fill that role and still be a peak performer. But is there a guy that you're looking at? Look, I do it if they trade Josh Hart. They trade Hart and promote Little. That's different. Nobody's looking over their shoulder. You know, it's it's the natural thing to do, and I think Nas fits okay. And at that point, I think the promotion in itself would be enough room to grow for him because there's no asterisks by it. But if it's not going to make that much of a difference and you invert them, there's actually a an expectation that it's going to do something. And when it doesn't, that's going to be blamed and it's on both players and on the coach, right? And it, I think it's just a recipe to reduce their confidence, probably, unless it really, really works, and I don't see it really, really working. Trade Hart, promote Little, and then you you have a completely different situation where, Nas, this is, your, this is your time, this is your chance, have at it, yay, welcome to the starting lineup. I keep thinking about what you said last week about the cap situation where if they... They trade hard and they don't get what they get, they get back, then it's lost money. So I don't know. I've been on the fence about all of that. I'm almost kind of on board with them, just kind of just playing it out and seeing how it goes. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm 50-50 I'm on that myself. I'm not sure. Yeah. Let's get there then. The trade deadline is, as we record, exactly two weeks away. So it's time to put our chips down. First of all, let's ask a simple question. Do you think the Blazers are going to at least semi-aggressively try to make a move? I think they'd be foolish not to. You got to go out there and explore all your options, whether you're a buyer or a seller. I think both in both scenarios, you got to kind of look at that and evaluate it. Um, and like we've seen experts talk about it. Analysts have talked about it uh, with Damian Lillard's timeline. You definitely don't want to waste years. You don't want to waste opportunities to get those top guys. You know they're there, but at the same time. Nobody knows what direction of this franchise is right now. So it's kind of right down the middle. You can draw a lot in the sand with that. So I think, yeah, like I said, as a buyer and a seller, you got to look at both both scenarios and see what you can get. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the Blazers are going to try to make a move or moves in my estimation. I, I think there's no doubt about it. The start hasn't been good enough. The cost of keeping the team together uh, as is is going to be way too high. They're simply going to end up not able or not willing to spend the money it will take, uh, given the team's production. I mean, it's, it's, let's say this team rallies and finishes five games above 500. That doesn't change anything. You still can't luxury tax yourself into oblivion for a team that, you know, wins 46. Just not going to happen. So they've got to try to make moves. So I believe they should be active right now, uh, both for now and for the future. So here's a question. It's is anyone on this roster completely and utterly untouchable 
in your estimation or you believe in Portland's? I'm talking about like literally there is zero chance that they will that they would hang up the phone if anyone mentioned this name. If I'm the GM or if I like realistically both. I mean, what do you what do you think and what do you think the Blazers think? If I'm the GM, um, me personally, I think everybody outside of Lillard's untouchable. I think that just you know the loyalty that he's brought to the franchise. It's hard for me to subscribe to the idea of of, of trading him. I think if you're calling, you're calling, you're bringing up, you know, somebody way younger than him. I think you definitely got to have that conversation. Like you can't can't blow it off. Uh, but I think yeah, that that'd be my guy. But realistically, I'd say nobody's untouchable. Um, maybe other than Dane, because like I said, he, he's done so much for this franchise. But Simons, Hart, all those guys, I think you can you can you can see a situation where they they'd be in trade talks. Uh, but Dame Lillard is probably the one guy I would say is, is is untouchable at this point. He's done too much, and it just established too much. He's done, he's done too much goodwill for this franchise. Yeah, uh, and we're talking about, by the way, folks, at the deadline. We're not talking about forever. Uh, might change this summer, but I agree with you, Damian Lillard, and I think probably at this point, Shaden Sharp goes in that category, if nothing else, because of his potential to contract ratio. Okay, so uh, could Sharp be had for a superstar deal? Yeah. I mean, again, if we start talking Pascal Siakam, or obviously north of that, and Sharp's name is mentioned, I believe the Blazers would consider it. But I'm assuming that that's not even remotely close to possible. And I think for what's out there, Sharp is also right now fairly untouchable. How about uh, guys that are just extremely unlikely to be traded like the next level down like okay you might you might listen but that pitch is going to have to be really good in order to uh convince the blazers to move them yeah that, that, i think the blazers have some of those guys too um not many i think when you look at the roster basically everybody outside of dame is like it'd be free market you know what i'm saying and, and the blazers have said before that you know they're, they're not trying to tank so you got to consider that too um I haven't heard anything about Jeremy Grant. I don't think he's the guy that you would want to trade in any any situation, really, unless you can get like something a whole layer, a whole tier above. But he'd be the one guy that I would say he he fit in that category where it's like you definitely wouldn't want to take too many calls on him unless it was something you were you getting exponentially higher, and much better. Does Sharp fit that category for you? Um, I, I remember in the summer when Kevin Durant, the trade rumors were going on, they were putting Sharp in those those trades. Uh, scenarios and this is before we even knew how good he was so i guess it just depends on how you feel about him now versus what you think his potential is going to be okay but if i'm portland i think that and i love shaden sharp but if the right offer came around i think you definitely got it you got it you got it you got to listen to the phone call you got to see what's up with that because you know a championship we've, we've been wanting a championship for years and years and years so if you think you got the roster to do it then you got to take a shot on that yeah i think for me uh I'm guessing the Blazers would consider Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant in this category, that they're not strictly untouchable. Simons because of the duplication with Sharp and Lillard, uh, and Grant because of the impending $30 million a year contract. Now, I think they're going to willingly pay that. I think that's why they got him. But if they were to get a better power forward or a comparable power forward in exchange. And there was some incentive to do so. 
I think they would at least listen because it's like, wait a minute, we can save a little money, we can fill that position, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that's at all likely. I just think Grant and Simons kind of belong in that category. Grant probably above Simons. Simons is the closest to touchable among these players. Anyone else that you think the Blazers would have any qualms about trading? I mean, just you think everybody else is just pretty much out there at this point? Yeah, just going down the list, I don't think that there'd be too many other guys that I would say, you know, if you call, I'm not going to talk about this. You know, everybody else is just kind of kind of playing their role. I think what Nasser Little's done has been has been fantastic, but even at that rate, you know, you still got to take calls on that and you got to consider the, the different, you know, deals you can make. So I, other than Lillard, I think everybody's on the table uh, and maybe, maybe Grant too, so. So on the unlikely category for me, I suppose, would go little, again, because of talent to contract ratio. Uh, Gary Payton, simply because they just got him, although I believe they would trade him under the right circumstances, but it's just kind of unlikely that you pick up the guy, he just starts playing for you, and you move him. But if he's required as a throw-in to another deal, I think that's certainly possible. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else that, like, they wouldn't really move and i'm 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 not coming up with anyone that we haven't mentioned likely that they're shopping likely uh, obviously we have josh hart to that i'm very tempted to add at this point use of nurkic i think that not only might they listen for for deals for nurk i think they might go as far as to seek deals for nurk I can see that being the case. Um, and it, it'd be a lot easier to do this if we felt like the Blazers had an actual identity, you know, because we're not sure if this team's going to be a, a, a team that's going to try to be gritty and, and out-physical you. If they're going to try to go out and be fast-paced, you know, they, they've had so many different variations over the last couple of weeks that it's hard to say what they're going to tip their cap on. So if, if they're going fast-paced, I think Nurkic is definitely the guy that, that probably would have to go. Um, and it's just it, it's hard to win games. I think when you're trying to post up 10, 15 times a game in, in today's NBA, um, even if the results are there. So Nurkic is he's definitely a guy that I would have eyes on. I know he's got paid too, so that's interesting. But if you can get a more athletic guy that can protect the rim a little better for a cheaper cost too, I, I, I think you, you take a shot on that. But I don't know. I'm not sure how it's going to go yet. <laughs> Honestly, I believe that some of the Orlando big men are in play. I wouldn't be surprised if they were in play for Portland. I will tell you, I think a name that we mentioned last time, which is, again, why you should listen to this podcast, uh, Daniel Gafford in Washington, I think could be on their list. And that, I think, would be exciting. So watch those names. There are probably a couple more. What other names do you think would be likely that also interest you? Do you have any in mind? Not really, I don't have too many guys in mind. I like to kind of just see it play out a little bit. Uh, but just to your your note on Gafford, I think he fits the the Blazers' profile where they got they kind of go for the high profile athletic guy. So definitely reasonable. I could see you being right on that and, and being able to brag on that a little bit if it happens. But me, I'm just I'm looking at the, yeah, <laughs> just the different archetypes of guys that we might see them get. I think I can see that being the case. But as far as a specific guy, I haven't really given that a lot of thought. Well, and here's why, too. Uh, they got Porzingis coming back, right? And they can probably get another forward. You know, I, th I think it's not impossible that the Blazers engineer either a straight or a three-way deal. 
involving him. And I think Washington has reason to be active at this trade deadline. So it, 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 it's there. And I would circle that name uh, if I were listening to this podcast and watch and wait for a minute. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I mean, Mo Bamba is a nice one in Orlando. Like I said before, I would love to get him and Bull Bull because I think that would be kind of exciting. <laughs> Again, that would that would make your bench, that would make your big man bench dynamic in a way that few other things, even Bamba himself doesn't quite do it, but Bamba's better. But I don't think you can trade Nurkic just for Bamba or lose Nurkic in another deal and get Bamba. You need to have three, right? You kind of need to have a three. You need Eubanks, you need Nurkic, and you need Bamba. Or you need, like, you just need a third big man in there. Because otherwise, first of all, you're going to lose talent at the center position. I don't think you're going to trade for a better center unless DeAndre Ayton comes available, but I think he'd be snapped up. I don't think the Blazers can sniff close to Miles Turner. Uh, he'd be a great get, but what do you do in order to, you know, in order to get him? So, the Blazers are either going to have to keep Nurkic and get a backup or pack it in for the year. And if you pack it in for the year, you're not packing it in for the year for Mo Bamba. You're going for a player that's going to help you in years in the future. So I think that's the toughest get, but it's possibility if they keep Nurk. I'll tell you one thing. It's, it's great to be having conversations about big men on the bench. You know, for so many years, we've talked about the, the, the guards and, and being undersized and whatnot. So this is a welcome discussion. I like to see that. And I'm, Watching a little bit of Orlando, I think that'd be a nice that'd be a nice add, uh, just in terms of just being more athletic and being able to out physical teams. Now we haven't really seen a lot of that in Portland, so that'd be a very welcome sight to see. So, uh, what do you think of Jared Vanderbilt in Utah? I mean, is that would that name excite you at all? Um, from what I've seen him play, uh, I know Utah likes to put him on Lillard, so I think that'd be nice to have another guy you can put on the perimeter guard. Um, and like I said, I don't think you can never have enough guys you can do that with. You can switch them around and play with length and play with aggression. So I think any move that gets them a little bit better, I think you go for. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing on Jared Vanderbilt if the contracts and stuff match up. So that'd be a pretty good move. Okay, he's 23. That's a big bonus. He does a lot of things well. I mean, he's a, he's an efficient scorer. He is not a three-point shooter. But he's athletic. He can defend. And he's very young. Uh, fits the Blazers' non-Lillard timeline perfectly. Here's the thing. He's a power forward. So, you know, Jeremy Grant kind of already does that. Vanderbilt, you bring him on. I mean, he's a starter in Utah. He's been a starter for two years now straight and really two and a half. Is he going to come off the bench for you? Eh, maybe not comfortably. Can he play center? Eh, maybe not comfortably. So that would be an example of a trade that the Blazers might do, which kind of stocks things for the future and understands that this year they're not going to win a title. So play out the string, do as well as you can. If you fall into the lottery, oops, I don't think they'll tank. But, you know, falling into the lottery wouldn't be the worst thing. Making the playoffs would be fine, but you know you're not going to win there no matter what you do. So now you make your move to get talent where, where you can at the trade deadline and figure you're actually going to fix up the roster during the summer. Right, Got to consider every scenario. And looking at uh, Vanderbilt's, uh, I guess, play-by-play, it looks like he's played about a quarter of his minutes this year, about a 1,000 minutes uh, at center. So he, he's definitely got some experience there. Uh, it, it seems like a guy that you can mix around. So I think, you, like I said, you, you can never have too many of those guys. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, granted. I mean, just another 6'8 guy playing out of position. I just, the only thing they need less is another 6'5 guy playing out of position. I just, you know, I don't know. It makes me itchy. But you know what? I take him for the right deal, exactly the the way we said. And then you've got some depth, at least at power forward and maybe swing power forward and center. And now you look to fill up the center position uh, during the summer. Oh, man. So what do you think are the percentage odds of the Blazers actually making a deal that's more than just like their 13th man or a second round pick or something like that? A deal of that affects the rotation in some way. What would you say? I'm going to go uh, so off the top of my head. I'll say maybe 25%. I think there are just so many different factors that you have to kind of put into put into play. When it comes to that, and I think Damian Lillard's gonna have a big role in that. You know, he he orchestrated he helped orchestrate the big deal to get Jeremy Brent this past summer based on the, the relationship they had in Team USA. So, if he knows a guy and he's been able to uh, spend time with him and he can make a move like that, help to make a move like that, I think then you see it. But it's just it's tough to say. Uh, <laughs> what do you think? Willingness, ninety nine percent. Ability to actually do it. I'm gonna go thirty three. I'll go a little higher than you. But my problem is matching contracts, not taking on salary, like we've talked about before, which I think they definitely do not want to do at this point. And also, like, just not, I think they're going to have players that they don't want to give up right now. I, I just see Simons and Sharp being among them, and I think those are two of the big movers, possibly. You know, players didn't get deals done. I don't think the Blazers are done experimenting with them. I don't know if they know which is which or whether they can keep both or whether they are the backcourt of the future and then Lillard fades or gets moved or something. I, I, too many questions of players that they're going to want answered before they deal them, so I don't see them dealing in midseason. That's a good point. And I, I, I keep thinking about that Anthony Simons thing where they were saying he was untouchable. Do you do you believe that's true? Or is that just kind of talk just to kind of do confidence and, and keep the water afloat? Yeah, I mean, he's in, like I said, he's in that second category. They're not likely to touch him, but they would for the right deal. I mean, that's why I said on, that's why I said uh, on BE, you know, when I wrote about this, if the Bucks called and said, you can have Giannis for Anthony Simons, he's touchable, right? So it's just, a, it's all a matter of degree. But I don't think they're going to get the degree of trade for him that's going to make him movable right now. Uh, I've already said that I would trade him. I mean, Pascal Siakam, I know that's too high. But, you know, if Simons and Nurkic or Simons Hart, I would I would make that deal. You know, I, I, without much problem for a player of that caliber. Uh, here's a here's a good question. Oji Ananobi. He is like the Rorschach test of NBA analysts, because some people are going like this guy is the second coming of everything your team needs. Get him, get him, get him. And other people are going, oh, boy. First of all, it is not <laughs> guaranteed that he's going to help you. And second of all, what Toronto wants is going to impoverish you. Where do you fall on the OG Ananobi debate? I'm a big OG Ananobi fan. Um, I think he, ch he checks a lot of boxes off for us. And the way you said it a couple weeks ago with just the lineups that you can run with him in there, it's fun to see. Um, I'm not sure about the, the contract situation and whatnot, but Toronto's got a lot of different guys you can unload. 
and Portland and Toronto, you've seen they've made trades in the past. So obviously there's a little bit of a connection there. So that might be the best, the best choice, you know, who to talk to. But I, I like I said, I'm, I'm <laughs> I basically support everybody. I don't think that there's a, a trade there with OG that I would be opposed to, especially if you can keep the guys like Grant and, and, and Lillard, you know, those guys in there. So, so. yeah. So we've, we've said Orlando, uh, Washington, Toronto, strong possibilities. That's if the Blazers are buyers. Do you think there's any chance the Blazers become sellers here? Do they just, uh, for instance, dump Nurkic or dump Hart for some kind of return that brings them, I don't know, future draft picks or something like that? I think if those if the next two weeks, you know, exactly two weeks away, I think if the next two weeks go poorly, I think you'll definitely see a situation where they kind of tread back on what they said before about uh, not taking down the season. So, uh you said it before, just how important the schedule is for them, but I think it's definitely going to be big for this next two weeks because if they go into that and they're seven, eight games under 500, I, I can see them being sellers. I can see them, you know, really deciding to take a long-term outlook and, 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 and making the moves necessary to get to the next point uh, in the future. So uh, it's, it's, if you're a fan of, of the Blazers selling, selling the team, I think you definitely you want to see some losses here, but that's going to be huge. Is Yusuf Nurkic worth, worth a first-round pick? In trade, do you think he can draw a first round pick? Oh, it's got to be for a team that that kind of plays old school. Um, you know, the, the way he plays, I think, is, is is not conducive to a lot like a lot of success that you see today. So, it's gonna be tough. I think if you get the right team and in the right situation, maybe you get there. Uh, but if you were, if, if if it were the other way around, and somebody were offering us a number one pick, and then they were giving us Nurkic back, I'll probably decline that uh, personally. But I don't know. <laughs> Everything's so skeptical. Yeah. I mean, I would take it at this point, I think. And obviously they'd have to have a, I, I believe they'd have to have a contract coming back. Cause I don't think there's a team with enough cap space to just absorb him. But here's why I think that then frees up future trades. I don't mean at the deadline, but in summer, I mean, acquiring an extra first round pick can solve a lot of problems. I don't believe in my heart of hearts, that the Blazers go with Nurkic for another year. If this year doesn't work, I think that they're done. Uh, I think they're going to move him, and if they could get a pick for him, and I don't think they'd want an expiring contract, probably, because it's the same thing as Josh Hart. That money just goes away. But if they can get someone on a reasonable contract that lasts this year and next year, so they have some trade options over the summer with them, I, I really think they might consider it at this point. And I think Hart, I don't, look, let me say this I, from the beginning, and you know this, I have been a Josh Hart advocate. You and I like what he does almost more than anybody in this market. And we have said so. But I'm not sure the percentage in keeping him through the summer. I think there's just too much risk of him leaving. Uh, and I just, it, it, would you keep him? I kind of want to see a playoff with Josh Hart, yeah. Um, like I said, every, every, I'm, I'm basing everything on what I've seen recently from this group. So if the way they're going to play is, is it fits the way he plays, you know, where you're getting coast to coast and, and playing harder than they did before, I think you, you, you'll see his fit start to play play out a little bit better. But just without an identity, it's hard to say. Um, and I think that even the Hart situation, maybe he's thinking to himself, like, his talents may, would be better benefited somewhere else. Um, so it's, it's I'm 50 50 on it, but if it were up to me, I would say, yeah, let's, let's keep heart. Let's run, let's run it through. Uh, he's a guy that fits the culture, fits what they like to do, and he brings energy every night. So I think that if it were up to me, I think you keep him. 
my heart says I want him. I, my heart says I want him a trailblazer for a long time. My brain says that doesn't make sense. It's that classic, it's that relationship dilemma, right? Uh, where do you think, look, if you could put Josh Hart on one team or two besides the Blazers, where do you think he would be ideal? Oh, that's hard. Let me think, let me think, let me think. It's got to be a, it's got to be a team that, that that has a fast pace, you know what I'm saying? That's going to go out there and, and, and get sideline to sideline for sure. I don't think he can play in like a like a like Phoenix, they historically they've been a really slow-paced team. I wouldn't want to see him there. I think you want to see him somewhere maybe in, in Golden State's team that comes to mind immediately. I think he just he'd be fantastic for them getting the open floor and, and getting open shooters in the corners and kicking out to those guys. So shame, but maybe Memphis. Memphis would be a great fit for him, I think. Mm-hmm. I would I, go. I'd say Memphis. Memphis is probably my pick. Yeah. I go East Coast. I'd say Miami would be a strong yeah, I like one. That. Uh, I think he could even. I mean. He would be sweet in Boston. They don't need him, but like you know, spelling those forwards and playing a little off guard as well. Uh, I think that would be cool for him. I think Josh Hart is going to prosper wherever Josh Hart goes. I have no concerns for his future as an NBA player. I just now, I wish this experiment was working better so we could go Josh Hart forever and, you know, pay him. And we're not going to lose that salary slot because everybody's succeeding and everybody's happy. And right now I think Hart would say, you know what? I, I want to stay here forever. But this summer, Josh Hart might also say, I want to stay here forever. And I'd like closer to 20 million a year or, or 19 or 18 to do it. And it's like, all right, well, I'll preserve that salary slot because I don't want to lose it. But you know what? That's luxury tax dollars. And now I'm at 28 with Jeremy Grant, and I'm at 18 with Josh Hart, and I'm at 50 billion for Damian Lillard, and I'm at 25 with Anthony Simons, and I still couldn't get rid of Yusuf Nurkic. And now I've got essentially a 500 team that's costing me a gazillion dollars, taking me out of you know, the, the under the tax realm into tax paying, into losing windfalls. I just don't see ownership doing this. I say, I see Joe Cronin going, you know, this could be pretty cool. And they're going also, it could not. It'd be a little bit easier too. If, if he were out there, like if he were the reason why the Blazers lose, I just happened to look this up. Um, looking at the Blazers on off numbers, basically like how the team does when the player is on the floor and off the floor. He's like literally the second highest behind Damian Lillard at plus 84 uh, per 100 possessions. So, He's definitely making a positive impact when he's out there, even if he's not scoring the ball. And before he got here, and it, it kind of bothered me that he had not ever made the postseason because the way he plays is just it's it's built for the postseason. You know, what I'm saying it's just the energy and tenacity that he plays with. It, 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 he deserves that. You know, whether it's with Portland or whether it's with, with a different team, um, and he, he plays the right way. He fits the profile of a guy like like a Kersey or a, a I'm trying to think of some old. Uh, role players that were like really, really appreciated in Portland. Just guys like that, that you, you, you can see it. So I, I'm hoping it's a happy ending for him in Portland, but if not, wherever he goes, they're going to appreciate and maybe be able to get better use out of his services than Portland does. So uh, that'll be something to watch for. All righty. Well, as we wind down here, and we probably should, because I bet we're, I haven't checked the time, but I bet we're running long here. Let's look at the schedule uh, that is coming up ahead for Portland. Uh, they have a small break here, but we know that they're going to play on Saturday. So they have the Toronto Raptors on Saturday, the Atlanta Hawks on Monday, at 
the Memphis Grizzlies on Wednesday. So again, three day three games between now and the time we talk again next. Toronto at home, Atlanta at home, Memphis on the road. What do you see as the record? I guess my better judgment, I'm gonna say three and oh. <laughs> I'm gonna say three and oh. Um Toronto and Atlanta are two teams that are in a little bit of a disarray. Um with, with Trey Rumors surfacing and whatnot. And then Memphis. Memphis has been good, but they've been a little bit vulnerable with the injuries they've had. Um, so they're 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 beatable. And I think that I love the way that they played Memphis in that first game. Uh probably should have won that game. They made a great comeback to the lead. So I think with the Blazers kind of knowing that there's so much at stake in terms of the roster construction and the postseason and whatnot, I think we get a good week from them. And being able to have a little bit of rest there too is is is, is gonna be huge. Three days off uh before the Toronto game. So I'll go three and oh and uh I'll i be able to two and one. So I think that's usually how it works out. You over predict and it's just slightly under, so 3-0, 2-1, I'm cool with that. I'll go with that. Yeah, I mean, 2-1 and one would be a successful... I mean, all these teams are decent, so 2-1 uh, and one would be good. You hope they don't go 1-2. and two. Last question. The Lakers call up and say, uh, we will uh, offer you uh, Patrick Beverly, uh, <laughs> and we will offer you Patrick Beverly in our 2027 first-round pick for Yusuf Nurkic. Uh, this I will probably pass on. Pat, Pat, uh, by the just, way, makes thirteen million, which is less than Nurk, I believe, and you can cut him. So you're saving, you're saving a couple million and getting a first round pick. I think it's definitely you can you can see the case for it. Uh, but twenty twenty seven is such a long time away, and Portland, I think they already they're already set in terms of guard like Gary Payton. What what can what can Patrick Beverly do that Gary Payton isn't doing already? So I think it'd be a little bit redundant. And we've seen how it looks in you know, offense where you got guys that do the same thing and kind of get themselves out of the rotation. So I would maybe shoot a little bit higher. I think that that's definitely a, a something to think about. But if it were to me, I'd try to get a little bit more for Nurkic. But yeah. I just made enemies out of all of our listeners, by the way, too. I mean, that would that would be funny as heck. I would like to see Damian Lillard like click on Twitter the day after and see that. Of course, they'd inform him before, but it's like, you did what? You did what with who? But I, I think almost certainly they'd, they'd waive Beverly, save the money, uh, or, or Beverly's contract expires. So, hey, I mean, who knows? But anyway, you all can consider that gross trade uh, until next week. Uh, Marlo and I will be back, and maybe, just maybe, the Blazers will have a deal done. If not, we will be seven days away and be talking hot and heavy trade possibilities. Until then, I'm Dave Deckard for Marlo Ferguson. We will see you soon.